0: So, will I be judged? I wanted to just say yes. Which is true. But then, it's not very helpful for you, is it? It's like, oh great, I'll be judged but there isn't any kind of content. But in other words, it's, can I just do what I want with the rest of my life and does it matter? Does what I do on earth have any kind of eternal consequence and make any difference? Will there be a final, kind of at the end of history, a judgement made? And the answer to all those questions is, of course, uh, yes. We can't just do what we want and get away with it. There will be a judgment. We'll all be held account. And. Um I'm just going to look at a passage in a second that kind of sums it up It's a bit of a scary passage in Revelation and Some of the terminology is a bit confusing I'm not going to go into This isn't a preach on Revelation 20 It's a topical sermon on uh, will I be judged and So I'm going to skip about all over the place So apologies for that And if there are things that as I read Revelation 20 you're going I really don't understand that Come and talk to me afterwards and I'll talk to you about it But this isn't a kind of uh, analysis of what we read in Revelation chapter 20 But more topical overview And uh, God, on the last day, judgment, I want you to think of judgment day, if you like, not as Terminator, but as God setting every single wrong that there has ever been right. If you think about it in that way, it's good, isn't it? Judgment day is a good thing. It's not something to be feared and something that's scary. It's God setting all the wrong things right. And I want to read to you here, I don't need this actually because I've got it written down. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 and uh, verses 11 through 15 and it says this this is John uh, writing he has a dream he has a vision and he has this revelation from God about a lot of things in the future that are going to take place and this is no different he says in his heavenly vision I saw a a great white throne and him who was seated on it talking of Jesus from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened Scary stuff that we read in Revelation 20 there, and there's an emphasis more than once that says everybody, so there's, uh, it talks about the dead, it talks about the dead that have been down in Hades, almost uh, waiting, all of them uh, stand before the throne, every single one of us, and all of them are held account, you'll read it here, for what they have done. So that's both Christians and non-Christians, are held account before the Almighty as to what we have done with the life that we've been given. That's why Judgment Day is so important. Will I be judged is such an important question because it affects our present now. The way that we live our life affects what happens in the future. So I want you to think about that a little bit this morning. All of us will be judged, firstly. So if you're sat here this morning thinking, oh, okay, you know, people, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and they say, oh, only God can judge me. That's a scary thing. I don't know why people say that as a cop-out. They say it as, oh, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. That's not necessarily something that's a positive (laughs) if if they actually stopped and thought about it. It's scary because if I judge you, I can't see your heart, I can't see your mind. God sees both heart and mind. He knows exactly what's going on all of the time. John says, I saw the dead both great and small. So it's it's everybody from all of human history will be there and be held account. And I said this already, but it's for those that believe and those that don't. Often we kind of think, oh, judgment day, or will I be judged? Oh, well, actually, it'll just be about those people that haven't trusted in God. No, actually, the Bible's quite clear that all people, Christians and non-Christians, will be held accountable. Now, as a Christian, there's some good news which I'll get to, but we will all stand before Jesus and have to make an account for what we've done with the life that we've been given. And this is what I mean when we say that actually all of us fall short of that standard, don't we? You read in Romans that Paul says all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are actually the standard that God sets for our life have just completely messed it up. Yet, despite that, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, there's a distinction. If you read Matthew 25, Carl mentioned this passage last week. It's a really important passage. And it's a passage, it's a picture of this last day. And Jesus talks about sheeps and goats. And basically, there's this separation of people and uh, on the last day and it's based on those that trust in Jesus and those that don't that's the only distinctive we've all messed up we've all. so if it was all about whether we'd uh, messed up we'd all be in one camp there wouldn't be a division of people but there's this division of people those that are sheep uh, which are the righteous in other words those that have trusted in Jesus for salvation and those that are the goats I don't know what he has against goats but they're the wicked they're not going to make it and actually in one sense I think it's helpful uh, to some degree to uh, when we're thinking of of big picture to go actually yes well actually I would have fitted in that category, we would be in that category of goats if it weren't for Christ there's nothing that you can do to move yourself from one category to the other it's what Jesus does it's not our good works, our friendliness, our happy face that's all brilliant and we should all do that but it's Christ's work that moves us from one to the other and if you want a kind of fuller explanation on that, then you need to go back to question one, really. And what is the gospel? And that will, that's, I can, you can then spend 25 minutes watching that instead of just a snippet this morning. But Jesus pays the price for us so that we can move from death in one camp into life in the other. And instead of eternal, uh, instead of condemnation, because that's, that's the problem. The goats are, are being condemned, they're being judged, they will uh, pay for what they've done that's been wrong, instead of that, if you are a Christian here this morning, we are, instead of getting what we deserve, we're rewarded with everlasting life. And there's this amazing verse in Romans 8 and it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I wanna, I'm not here this morning to put the fear of God into you. I'm not here this morning to preach hellfire at you. And to kind of fire you up going out of this building going you're all going to burn in hell. Unless you do something. Some preachers do that. I don't always think it's that helpful. We believe in hell as a real place and it's going to be a place of eternal torment actually for those that don't know Christ. That's not a good thing. It's not a good place to go. But I think there are ways of communicating it that are a little better. But for a believer, if you're a Christian here this morning, I want to put any, dispel any fears that you have about this question, will I be judged? Any worries that you have? What's going to happen to me? Where am I going to go? If you trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour, judgement day is a good thing. It's actually according to Hebrews, something to kind of almost look forward to. Why? Because it means we're entering into being with God forever. It's eagerly awaiting change. You know, we're in a world, you know, this earthquake in Nepal is terrible. We're in a world where there's terrible things happening. People are terrible to one another. There's going to be a place in the future for those that believe in Christ where every tear will be wiped away. Where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. That's something to look forward to? I think it is. I'm kind of eagerly awaiting that actually. Because it would be great. My knees will both work. I won't have any scabs from Emily Beach shooting at me. Airsoft, relentlessly. I'll be completely made right. And we'll be spending that whole time with Jesus. And that's fantastic, isn't it? But if we're not a believer, it's not something to look forward to. And I want to talk about a few practicalities this morning of, actually, what does this question, will I be judged? What difference does it make for how we live in the present? What does it do in terms of affecting our own life and affecting uh, others around us? And I've just got four things. So first, the first thing before I get to those four things, so it's five really, is that if you're a Christian, and I want to put you at ease. You can be free from fear, free from shame, free from worry about what's going to come in the future because Christ has paid the price for you so I'll explain that a little bit more in a moment but the first thing that I want to talk about is that judgement day and will I be judged will satisfy the need for justice that I think we all have in our hearts somewhere don't we we all want there to be justice in this life if somebody wrongs you you want it to be set right am I the only one that thinks that? we all do don't we every time somebody does something wrong we might want to bring the pain we want to bring a bit of justice that's not always the way to do it by the way We want justice. And whether that's the minor things or whether it's kind of massive atrocities that we see in the world, we want all the wrongs to be set right. And often the way we deal with it is all wrong. I mean, take this for example. Um, I got shot numerous times, some of it by my own team, it has to be said. And to be honest, when it was my own team, particularly my brother who would shoot me in the head, I wanted vengeance. And that's often the way we go, isn't it? If somebody wrongs us, we want to avenge it. And we think by bringing vengeance, somehow that's going to bring justice. But actually, what I want to say is, well, it doesn't. And actually, what Judgment Day does is it satisfies our need for justice. After all, God himself has reserved the right to judge all things. He's the one that's just. You and I aren't just, are we? We make silly decisions, we say silly things, we get things wrong. We're not completely holy, we're not completely just, we don't get everything right, but God does. And the way that we go about it is, as Christians, can make a huge difference. I always think about this, you know, if someone cuts you up when you're driving, how you react says a lot about whether you want justice in this life, or you're going to trust God to have justice at the end of time. You know, at the moment, I'm really struggling with that. I actually, in my, uh, this is, I'm going to confess this, I don't mind. We like being vulnerable here. 18-year-old lad. Somebody cut me off and, like, peeped at me and, you know, waved at me with their middle finger. And um, I thought, right, I'm so mad. And I followed them for, like, five or six miles. I just followed them and I just flashed my lights and flashed my lights. And looking back at them, I go, I was an idiot. And now people do that to me. And I end up driving around the block to try and lose them. It's not, how we, it's not how we should operate, is it, as Christians? What happens if, if I was doing that? Somebody took my plate. They find out I'm a pastor in a church. That's not going to go down well, is it? What do we have a reputation for? What are we standing for, in other words? If we are people that like to take vengeance, often we paint the wrong pictures of the world, don't we? We want to follow after. We talk about this all the time, don't we? To be a Christian means to follow Who? not a trick question, Christ, yeah, it's not Ian, it's Christ it's to follow after Christ and it's, there's a great verse actually um, in scripture, and actually it's a, a little later on, I was using it in a, a later point I think, or I've lost it because it's not in italics but it's where um, Jesus basically says, actually, hold on Here we go, brilliant. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So when people were critical, aggressive, angry with Jesus. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. So when people kind of gossiped at him, were malicious to Jesus, Jesus didn't return it. When Jesus suffered as a result of people's wrong, he didn't return it. Instead, he trusted in the justice of the one who would bring it at the end of time, which he knew would be himself, on the judgment seat. But he was trusting his father, he was, in, in his human flesh, he was trusting what God would do. A fair judgment will be made. And here's the question, would you rather take judgment in this life for yourself, or would you rather have the judgment of God? Would you rather have a judgment that you bring that is not necessarily fair, not necessarily right, and will actually not satisfy anything, Or, would you rather trust the Almighty will do it at the end of all time? I mean, Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For some of us, that will be more than others. But I tell you, that will be all of us. We'll speak careless words. And that's just one example given in Scripture about the way that we speak. Everything that we do in secret is brought to light as well. Whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed upon the rooftops. Sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? You thought you were getting away with those things in the dark room, in the darkness, that nobody would know. Well, actually, God does. And he will hold all of us account for what we do with our life. Now, as I said before, if you're a Christian, I don't want you to be in fear. That might put the fear. Everyone's going to hear what I did. What I did in that darkness and the shame that's going to be attached to it. But actually, what's more remarkable is that when that happens, God then says, Oh, actually, you've trusted in Christ, so you're forgiven. So even though all these things will uh, come to the surface, everything will be known that has not been known, God still forgives it. Now we think it's amazing, don't we, when we talk about the forgiveness of God, and often we apply that to the the visible things. Oh, The stories that people say, oh, I was once doing this, and it was really obvious, I used to swear, and now I don't swear, or I used to do this, and I don't do that. But he also died for those things that we think nobody else knows about. Those gossipy words that we issue in the dark rooms, that we think nobody else knows about. God paid the price for those two. And you know what that does when I think about it? It just demonstrates how amazing God's love is for us. There's not just the visible things that we all kind of think about, but those invisible things as well that we think only we know about. That Christ is willing to go to death for those two. Secondly, I want you to think about that the final judgment should enable you, and this is challenging, but it should enable you to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven you. That's another practical thing. The first thing is that justice, you know, we don't always have to take justice into our own hands. We don't always have to bring vengeance. In fact, God reserves the right to bring vengeance, okay? So that's the first thing. We don't always need to do that. Sometimes it's better to stay quiet. Sometimes it's better to not give an account for yourself and defend yourself. We all want justice, don't we? And we're to trust the governments and the police forces and we're right to report crimes when they happen. That's not what I'm saying. We're not supposed to ignore those things. But if someone gossips and is malicious to you, you shouldn't gossip and be malicious back. You don't need to defend yourself, you don't need to take vengeance on them. You just trust that God will make things all right, and actually pray for them. There's a little challenge for you, next time someone slags you off. Don't slag them off, pray for them. What a difference that would make to our community. What a difference that would make to churches up and down our nation, right? It would make a huge difference. If someone's critical about anything, stop them. Say, I don't want to hear that, I don't want to join in. And then actually, maybe don't say, I'm going to pray for you because you're getting it all wrong. But then quietly afterwards, be like, I'm just going to pray for you. And pray that God would be gracious to Pray that they'd actually realise that what comes from our mouth should be good things. There should be a reflection of what's going on in our heart. But anyway, back to the second point. I'm all over the place this morning. Our second point was that we should forgive others as we've been forgiven. You know, if we don't do that, If someone commits a crime against us and we want vengeance, do you know what that does to our heart? We end up bitter, we end up resentful, we end up hating people. I can speak that from my own experience. There's certain people I've found very difficult to forgive for certain things over the course of my walk with God. But if I don't forgive them, if I don't actually give it to my Father in Heaven, it just stews me up. I just end up bitter. I end up resenting people for doing things for me. And what that means is I'm not actually trusting that God will be the one that causes all judgments on the last day. I'm kind of trusting myself again. You know, because we end up holding grudges, don't we? And whenever we're holding a grudge against someone, I don't think we're trusting God to deal with things fairly. Does that make sense? If I'm still angry with someone for some, somebody said something to me 10 years ago and I haven't forgiven them, and I'm holding a grudge against them, I'm not trusting God. I've not given it to him. I've not said, God, I can't deal with this. I can't handle with this. And I'm going to trust you to deal with it, whether it's in this life or it's at the final thing, at the end of time. And as I said before, this is how we follow after Christ. I'll read those verses again from 1 Peter 2. When he was reviled, so when people were critical, he didn't do it in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten them in return, but he continued to trust him who judges justly. And I just was thinking about that verse quite a bit recently. And how, we, how you react during conflict, how you react when someone has a go at you, says a lot about what you believe. And it says a lot about where your trust lies. How you react to people that are different to you says a lot about where your trust lies. I remember uh, once, actually it was in the last kind of five or six years, standing in a church building and I just fell to my knees. Tears streaming down my face. And I'm pleading, pleading with all that I am that God would bring justice now. That God would right the wrongs that had been wronged to me in that moment. And I was there for a couple of hours, just absolute wreck. And you know what, there was no intervention, nothing changed, there was no miraculous bang, lightning struck from heaven and it was all made right. That didn't happen, but i tell you what did happen, in that moment, after a bit of weeping and a bit of time, I knew, uh, God took me to some scriptures and, and various other things, that God would defend his people. Whether in this life or at the end of time come judgment day. That Jesus ultimately would put the wrongs right. And it was as if God was saying, no you've got to trust me. Yes there's things that are going wrong. Yes there's things that haven't been easy. And that will be the same for all of us. I bet you can all think of people now that there's a bit of resentment or a bit of bitterness or you haven't forgiven them. And God's saying, no I know that's not easy and I know you've been wronged but trust me. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to follow after him, to trust him, and when we don't and when we seek vengeance we 're not doing that and so the most powerful thing that we can do is to forgive and it's completely countercultural it's, it would seem like weakness to the world, but in fact it's incredible strength. I remember in school there was this uh, there was this bully called Lewis, and he was bad I mean he was big i mean we're Primary school was the first instance I went up to him and punched him in the face. That was a mistake. That's where it all started, actually. He was bullying my mate, so I lamped him one. And then for the rest of my school, school years, this guy made my life a misery. And like, you know, year seven, everybody's about this big. I was about this big. And this guy is stacked. Like, I think he went to the gym and stuff as like a 13-year-old boy and everybody in school was scared of him and it got to year 8 or year 9 and I was getting a bit fed up with him and he was on his rollerblades and he was rollerblading around me walking home from school trying to wind me up and so I just thought I've had enough of you and I pushed him and he fell over a wall, banged his head and went backwards and you know what, do you think that made it better? I felt great for about 5 minutes but I lived in fear for the next 3 years, when is he going to strike me down? And sure enough, I got taken out on numerous occasions. <laughs> and looking back, I saw him a few years ago, and that was a bit nervy. But it was okay. He'd grown up since then, and so had I, kind of. But actually it doesn't take a big man to fight back. We always think this, don't we? Oh, it takes a big man to fight back. It takes great strength to fight back and defend yourself. Actually, no. When when dealing with bullies and stuff, they always say it takes a stronger character to walk away, doesn't it? It takes a stronger character to actually trust that there will be justice and it will come from outside of yourself. And I think that's actually what it is like to be a godly man or a godly woman. It's to not take justice into our own hands, but instead say, I forgive you. Show them grace. Go the extra mile. Love them. You know, if I, instead of pushing him over on his rollerblades, if I'd loved him, if I'd said, oh, Lewis, you know, what's going on, mate? And just chatted to him, and I might have still got punched a few times, but, it, you know, it would have been actually the godly thing for me to do. I would have set an example of what it looks like to follow after Christ to this guy. Instead, I just, I just caused more trouble for ourselves. And I think that's what happens. When we take justice into our own hands, often it just comes back to us furthermore. Thirdly, the third thing I want you to think about is this, that uh, will I be judged, this question and answer of yes, should, if you need one, I hope you don't need one, but should provide you with a massive motive for living righteously. It should provide you with a massive motive for living right before God. Now we won't always get it right, but we should have some encouragement and some kind of motive to be getting on with it. Living right before God is not just about turning up on a Sunday or praying well, but it's kind of what I was just talking about there, living a life that points to Christ. And I think it's using the gifts and abilities that we've been given as well. Whether that's um, possessions, finance, time, whatever we have been given to use for him. Matthew 25, that same passage as the sheep and the goats that I talked about earlier Jesus says this, he says for I was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Both Christians and non-Christians church will be held account for what we do or what we don't do in this life Both what we do, using our gifts and abilities, but also what we don't do. If we have gifts, abilities, if we have time, if we're time rich, if we have finance and we're not using it for the right things, I think we'll be held account. I think God will say, well, what did you actually do with all that I gave you? Did you just accumulate wealth for yourself? Or did you clothe the hungry, uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked? Did you do those things? there's a genuine sense as you read through scripture of you've been given this life to make much of Christ if you're following after him what are you doing with what I've given you? I think God will say, Dan, what did you do? Think about your life and what you're building to. It's a bit of a challenge. It can be a bit uncomfortable for us, can't it? But think about it. I remember uh, in Tanzania in 2012, um, I met this guy Godfrey who had lived in the slums his whole life. And it was just messed up. No clean water, sewage everywhere, children playing in dirt. I mean, it was just appalling. But you know what? Him and his mates did the most amazing things for God. And I mean amazing things. They had a massive vision to change uh, their life and the lives of others. I mean they had kind of gun amnesties where people would bring in all their weapons. They... um, They uh, put on community programs to provide education for people that wouldn't have education. They managed to somehow gather food for people that had no food. These people who had so little did so much. And I remember thinking about this a couple of years ago, that we that have so much often do so little. And I think we will be held accountable for that when there's people in different parts of the world That's why I think it's amazing and great and encouraging that someone's running a marathon to raise money for a good cause. That's why we should get behind things like that. Because it's going to change the lives of other people. And I think we should, as a church, have massive dreams. You know, I was at this place yesterday where we did the airsoft, and you know what, afterwards I thought, this would make an amazing site. You could just knock it down, and you could build a nice big building for a church to meet in, but you could have accommodation for people that don't have accommodation. You could have cafes for people that don't have food. You could have clothes, banks. You can do all these things, and we do it in Christ's name. Because that's what we read in Scripture we're to be doing it should provide a massive motive for us to live well and to bless other people. Because we're going to be held account for it. I mean, there's these uh, verses, isn't there? Uh, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, nobody likes moths, and, uh, and evil, uh, they're evil, yes. Moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Our clothes going to get destroyed by moths. Moths. Um, Rust will destroy our bikes and stuff. And, you know, my Ford Escort Eclipse, with a nice little spoiler on, was burnt in a field by some people just outside Liverpool. But that surprises you. Thieves will steal our stuff. So don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And we think, okay, well, that's one motive. But there's more than that. Not only should we... um, Not hoard stuff in this life, but actually our reward, that's an interesting thing to talk about reward, because evangelicals don't do that very well. They either, if they talk about reward, they go a bit far, actually. And we we don't talk about, actually, that the Bible says that there will be reward for those that follow after him, for those that trust in Christ. And actually the indication in scripture is that there's degrees of reward. So, some will have a greater reward eternally than others. And the way I like to picture that, I don't actually know what that looks like, but the way I like to picture it, you've got Jesus on the throne, you've got the 12 elders around it, and I'd like to think, I would love to think that the martyrs, those that have laid down their lives for the gospel, are closest to Jesus. Nothing that would be appropriate? That those that have laid down everything, and I'd like to think, you know, somewhere, you know, a few thousand metres away, that's where I am you know. and there's other people that are closer I remember there's this old story of uh, two theologians Wesley and Whitfield and they kind of had some kind of banter going on and they weren't necessarily best of mates and John Wesley was asked about George Whitfield, he said will you see George Whitfield in heaven, because they were kind of rivals if you like and, and John Wesley said no and they were like oh dear, I kind of thought you might say that oh, is, he, is he preaching wrong, he's, he's not actually a Christian, and John Wesley said no, I won't see him Because he'll be much closer to the throne of grace than I will. His reward will be greater. Because of what he's doing in this life. Now ultimately our treasure is Christ himself. And I don't want you to think this morning, Oh, but there's people that do far more than me. I won't be satisfied with my reward when I get there. It's not going to be like that. You're not going to feel shortchanged to be with God for all eternity. So if that notion came in, let it go straight out again. Your joy will be complete You'll be with God, there'll be no more pain, sickness, suffering. It's going to be awesome. But there is a degree of reward given by God for those that follow after him. That's exciting, isn't it? I don't know what that looks like quite. But it should provide us with more motive, if we needed any, for righteous living. That actually my riches and my reward will be in heaven not going to have it now and I'm worrying about money now I'm worrying about the future now and I'm worrying about what am I going to do with my kids and where are they going to go to school or I'm worrying about am I going to be able to afford to do this or afford to do that or when's my next holiday going to come doesn't matter your reward will be in heaven what would you rather have? something where moth and rust can destroy or something that can't be destroyed that's the second half of those verses from Matthew 6 but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth I don't know if that means there's no moths in heaven, that would be awesome. Nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And lastly, and you might have thought, why hasn't he got to this? And I think most importantly, this question, will I be judged, should provide for you, if you need one, a motive to speak about Jesus. A motive to tell people about him. The reality of those a little bit scary kind of verses in Revelation 20 is this. Some people will be with God forever. Some people will not. Hell, and we believe this at Redeemer King, hell is a very real place. And people will go there for all eternity. We don't believe in annihilationism. We don't believe that they'll be put out of their misery. You read the Bible and it seems that there will be eternal, eternal suffering. For people that don't know Christ as their Lord and Saviour. What more motive do we need when we answer this question, will I be judged? Now some of us, we might be worried about what that looks like. And I think it's twofold. It's one, living a life that demonstrates that Christ is Lord, but also speaking about it. It's both and. And I think that's pleasing to God when we do both. Seriously, there are so many people that are heading towards hell. And we've met Christ, our life has been changed completely. And we've got to speak about it. I don't think I've told people this before, but when I was about 19 years old, um, I had a vision of what hell looked like, actually, and it was pretty scary at the time. I and mean, I'd not researched the Bible, I'd not looked through. And it was almost like a vision, and I didn't really know where I was, and I came around, and I was just utterly it was awful. I'd never want to see it again actually and it was just darkness, it was almost as if there was different shades of darkness like different shades of black and just, just this feeling and presence of just evil and separation from God I don't want anyone to go there, that actual vision kind of spurs me on to share my faith more and if you actually read through scripture and you read what Jesus talks about and you read these passages, it's scary We shouldn't actually want anybody to be going there. Now, we can't save people. You can't save someone. You can't argue them into the kingdom because they can be argued out of the kingdom. But what we can do is we can speak about Jesus. We can point to Jesus. We can say, look, Christ has changed my life. He can change your life too. And there might be some of you here this morning I don't know that actually kind of sat on the fence a little bit or what I just talked about makes you uncomfortable. There is no sitting on the fence. There's sheep or goats, actually. There's not some sort of hybrid, some crossbreed. That's not in the metaphor or the picture. We're either in God's kingdom or we're not. We're either trusting Jesus alone for salvation or we're not trusting him. And so I want to put this challenge out to you this morning. Whether you are young or old, it does not matter. Have you put your trust in Christ? And if not, why not? And actually today is as good a day as any to change your eternal destiny. That's why this question is so important, will I be judged? Because what we do in this life really matters. What we believe right now has eternal consequences. And not just for you and I, but for our town, but for our nation, but for our world. And that's why, church, we've got to be desperate to see people saved. That's why we've got to be desperate and and pleading with God for him to show his grace. That's why we've got to we've got to do these things like serving people why we've got to clothe those that don't have clothing why we've got to feed the poor why we've got to be salt and light to people we've got to be like christ because it all hangs in the balance for so many people and we have such a place to go from to be able to uh, talk about jesus who's dealt with our sin and can change lives forever so I just want you to think about that, When you, you know, next time people say, oh I'm going to be judged, or will I be judged is great if you're following after Christ, and it should mean that we don't necessarily pursue our own justice and take vengeance, it should mean we're quick to forgive others, it should mean that we live righteously, and it should mean that we actually are equipped for evangelism, because we know what's at stake.